Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode. I am super excited to announce of my, my first podcast I've ever done, 21st Century Cinema Outdoors. This is your host, Brett Kimball, and today we will be diving into the filmography of probably my favorite director ever, Quentin Tarantino. Though he's widely liked, extremely common name in film zeitgeist, um, today we're going to analyze a little more little more of the the things that make Tarantino Tarantino what really encapsulates his style of filmmaking and just how he creates a world far different from every other director to ever exist as far as I'm concerned um, among among what we'll talk about today are you know just aspects of his cinematography just the way he blocks actors um, just the way he he writes dialogue how he can turn a basic conversation sitting at a bar or a diner into something that's just bubbling over with just great tension and just keeps you glued to the screen and just how well he's he's able to create worlds across different times in history but how all of his films could all exist within their own same violent effed up world so to speak so just uh for those of you who may maybe even if you've seen some of his films you know maybe you don't know as much about him uh quentin tarantino was born march 27th 1963 in knoxville tennessee the only child of connie McHugh and tony tarantino his father left when he was very young before him and his mother relocated to los angeles he'd be a film nut growing up um just Absolutely loved it, and in into his teenage years, he began making his just making his own films with whatever money he was able to earn, working at this tiny little video store in Los Angeles. He, I've watched a ton of interviews where he said how much he absolutely adored this job, and it was his almost his own little way of curating films that he loved and allowing himself to sort of impress himself onto other people, his tastes, and just the way he saw cinema without actually having to make anything, even though he began to get into that more and more, making a shorter film called My Best Friend's Birthday, which never made it to theaters or anything, but I believe you can still find it um, around online. He'd been writing throughout his time, working at the video store, and eventually, um, began sending in screenplays and such to studios. Harvey Keitel caught wind of the Reservoir Dogs script. And after that, the rest is history. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of 21st Century Outdoors. It's Quentin Tarantino's world, and we're all living in it. Now, Tarantino, as with most directors, when looking at their body of work and trying to maybe just understand them a little more, understand their style a little more, understand just the the creative aspects of their work more, I think it's probably best to just start in chronological order. Then we can understand how his style has changed over time, but how his stories, characters, filmic techniques have ultimately remained the same when you, you look at Reservoir Dogs you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you can still find plenty of commonalities between the two. And so I think we'll start with Reservoir Dogs, just work our way right down to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then even if you haven't seen some of them, you, you at least have an idea of maybe what what Tarantino really puts of himself and of his own little style into each one of his movies and you can make those connections. So there will be spoilers during this part, but I'll try to not reveal anything too, too um, revealing about any of his films. But without further ado, let's get right into Reservoir Dogs. So Reservoir Dogs, as I'm sure many of you have seen, is potentially his most overtly violent 
there's just a heist gone completely wrong in every way, shape, and form. And Mr. Pink and Mr. White end up in this warehouse, and crap just hits the fan. Nothing's going right. Nobody trusts anybody. Who knows where the diamonds are? That's pretty much the synopsis of the film. But what's so great about Reservoir Dogs is even just the opening scene, we get about 10 to 15 minutes of all of the goons just sitting around a table discussing what the real meaning of Madonna's like a virgin is. Why do we why do we care what they think about it? What does this have any bearing on the plot whatsoever? Well, what Tarantino's trying to hint at hint to the audience here is that these are all guys who think they know everything, think they've got it all, think that nothing's gone too wrong for them in the past. This is this is going to be a breeze. They're clearly not that concerned with this heist, considering they're dedicating all of this time and attention to Madonna's Like a Virgin. And then when talking about it, we can clearly see that they do none of them respect women much at all whatsoever. And they're honestly all just kind of a bunch of bad dudes. This is even further exemplified when Mr. Pink refuses to tip. And it's it's just another one of those little, little, little character details that Tarantino is so good about sliding in there that you don't even notice it, but it's still it's still an entertaining conversation. You're still you're still gripped. You're still listening to what these guys have to say because it sounds so ridiculous. And after this, we kind of see every character play into their personality as they were at the diner. Mr. Blonde threatens to shoot somebody. He's clearly the most sadistic out of all of them as can be seen in, we'll just call it the ear scene. For those, I don't want to spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it. Trust me, it's rather shocking. But um, just the little things, like that, the little nuances in his dialogue like that, and then also just the extreme violence of Reservoir Dogs just continue to permeate all of his films. He really, really sets the tone well with it. Just the way he writes the dialogue, the way characters talk to each other. Everybody's trying to be cooler than the next guy. But in reality, they're all just a bunch of assholes who are all going to get screwed in the end. Tarantino's next and obviously most famous film, which I'm sure, if you're listening to this, have more than likely seen, is Pulp Fiction. Again, this is probably the most similar film to Reservoir Dogs, which makes complete sense. It once again opens the same way, but instead of a group of people in a diner this time, it's just Honey Bunny and Pumpkin Pie, two people who plan on robbing the diner, sitting in this diner, basically just talking about their their escapades, just telling us, oh, like we we are robbers. We need to find a better way to get money. We, what's the lowest risk way we can get money? Ends in them standing up, holding up the restaurant, title credits, and boom, we're thrown right into the film. Unlike Reservoir Dogs, where it's a more cool, suave opening, Pulp Fiction just explodes onto the scene. So this is that's certainly a place where Tarantino's style is tweaked a little bit. One place where it's extremely similar to Reservoir Dogs, though, is again in the just general smaller conversations that people have. They're talking about what's what appears to be nothing. Take, for example, Vincent and Mia at Jack Rabbit Slims. They're sitting there talking about $5 milkshakes and what their pasts have been like and just what Marcellus is like and rumors that Vincent is, has heard that him and Jules had, previous, had talked about previously. But we're getting these details about their characters through, through this seemingly meaningless dialogue. This all comes to a head when Mia convinces Vincent to do to enter the dance competition with her, which I believe is kind of the turning point in that relationship because Vincent's been clearly, clearly, clearly into her 
all night. And he knows this is his boss's wife. He knows what he's heard has already happened. Knows he can't do anything. And, but the, Tarantino never actually says that to us. It's it's shown in the dance scene. And then once they get back to the house, Vincent overtly says this. But I really feel that it was, that point gets hit home so much even before then. That, that, that. We didn't even need to get that shot of Vincent in the bathroom talking to himself in the mirror, trying to convince himself just to leave. It's just in those little nuances that he he didn't need to explain that to the audience. I think it was already stated so well in the little nuances of action and dialogue. Again, Pulp Fiction is another rather violent movie with many great characters meeting tragic ends. But again, when you really look back on it, they kind of all deserve it. Similar to that of Reservoir Dogs. Nobody's really a good person. They're all just looking out for themselves. But at least here we have a few people get away, such as Butch, completely unscathed. Tarantino's third film, and in my opinion, what is probably pound for pound his most underrated, is Jackie Brown. Which, if you haven't seen it, tells the, st the story of Jackie Brown, played by Pam Greer, who is absolutely fantastic in this. Um, and she's kind of a down-on-her-luck airline stewardess who previously gotten in trouble with another airline company, so she's kind of gotten downgraded to this rather lowly airline company. She's not making good money, so she takes up running guns for Samuel L. Jackson's character, Ordell Roby. She runs... Or she... she or she runs the money, rather, back from Mexico for Odell. Ordell doesn't actually physically receive any guns to run. But as time goes on, she gets in trouble, meets Robert Forrester's character, Max Cherry, who wants to kind of help her out in getting out of her situation. Definitely has, you know, a little bit of a crush on her, which might might have influenced his decision-making in this because he is a bail bondsman and could get in trouble if the full extent of Jackie's plan was revealed. But nonetheless, he helps Jackie sort of double-cross both the cops and Ordell, make off with some cash, and screw over everybody else except Max in the process. This is the film that I always feel, despite it lacking his traditional heaps of violence, it always has felt the most Tarantino to me. It's long, it, but it's it's got all of a lot of his usual actors, rather. And it's just such rich dialogue. We we don't there are very few scenes where there's a lot of actual People running around, firing guns, moving, even just moving quickly, moving between places in rapid succession, or, you know, just, it's just so much conversation. So much of this movie is spent even just in Ordell's apartment, Max's office, at the mall where this kind of con goes down, and just at the airport. Just these very basic places but Tarantino just fills every conversation with such rich dialogue. Jackie Ordell and um, Robert De Niro's character, uh, Lewis, they are, they're all, and Bridget Fonda's character, Melanie, excuse me, they're all just such over-the-top personalities that when they collide with each other, it just makes for such interesting interaction. Even those conversations between Jackie and Max are just very rich because they both they both want something from one another. Max, obviously, he's getting older. He's just kind of a lonely bail bondsman. You really you you do feel for the guy because he seems like a genuinely good guy, and he clearly just at, at the very least just enjoys spending time with Jackie. Just finds her to be exciting, interesting. And I think this is probably a lot of the reason that he decides to help her out in the end. And despite Jackie's MO being that she really does need him to kind of get her plan to go through, I won't get too into that because a lot of a lot of the film is kind of hashing out how they're gonna 
make this plan work? Who's who needs to be involved? Who can know what? Which again is just very Tarantino and just creating these intricate scenarios where the the end goal seems rather simple, but the way they get there is really what makes it so so fascinating. I mean, it's the same with Inglorious Bastards. It's the same with um, Django Unchained, which we'll get to in a bit. But I think that just Jackie Brown, in terms of the dialogue and in terms of just the way Tarantino makes his characters, again, all think that they're so cool and all think that they're ahead of the curb. When in reality, in this one, Jackie's kind of the only one who's really knows what's going on at all times. But regardless, fantastic film. I highly, highly recommend seeing this one if you haven't seen it yet. Moving right along here, uh, the next film in Tarantino's filmography is uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, shortly followed by Kill Bill Volume 2. And this is where we see Tarantino take a completely different direction in his style. There's this is The Kill Bill films are not quite as dialogue-driven, though the, the writing is still very obviously his. But here we see him more pay homage to movies that he's stated that he's loved, like um, Jackie Chan's Police Stories and um, uh, 36 Chambers of the Shaolin and movies like that. But again, still taking that typical sort of, obviously Kill Bill is not a kung fu movie, but those high-flying late 70s, early 80s action films and completely put his own spin on it. And... What I love about Kill Bill is that it, it's, like I said, it still feels so Tarantino, but it also feels like this kitschy, in the most brutally violent way possible. And Beatrix Kiddo, our main character, played by Uma Thurman, she she's not she's not a perfect hero, as as you see in a lot of these older action films. She's she's only resting on the laurel of I need to find my daughter, which is, again, so similar, especially moving forward to so many of Tarantino's main protagonists and that they become fixated on this one goal that they don't really care who, who they step on in the way. They don't care who has to get taken out. They just want to achieve this one goal. We will, again, see this to an even more explosive and violent degree with Django Unchained. But I feel that both Kill Bills are certainly the biggest standouts within Tarantino's filmography, but still carry so much of his character development and dialogue, especially with our protagonist. And following the Kill Bills, we get what I believe is the only movie that Tarantino has personally said that he felt he kind of rushed through, maybe didn't do his best work on, but that I feel got a lot too much flack from critics and fans alike. And that is uh, death proof. The real premise, the only premise of death proof is that Kurt Russell's character is just trying to kidnap girls, get them into his car and kill them in his death mobile by crashing the car while trapping them in this glass box. I won't I won't even get too deep into this one because I mean it's at the at the surface level it's it's really it's it's very simple but definitely watch it. This was again interesting because this was where Tarantino pays paid homage to old exploitation films back in the 70s which is part of the reason why I love it so much is because it, he even just the way he shot it still kind of fits that B movie style. But again, we still we still see these these character traits come out again. These these are still very obviously Tarantino characters. You could watch this movie for 2 minutes and understand that um Kurt, what's interesting here is that it does center around Kurt Russell's character. So here we don't really have any sort of definite protagonist other than just the whole, um, the 
two, two there's two separate groups of girls in the film. The first are not so lucky, and the second you'll have to see for yourself how that goes for them. But um, it definitely is interesting, and there's so many big names in this that he actually hadn't previously used, like um, Rosario Dawson and um, Zoe Bell, who was Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill, and I believe in Pulp Fiction too. She's an actress in this one too. And um, despite it being far different, I think I think we can give this one a little bit more of a pass because he wanted to intentionally make it different. He wanted it to give it more of a B-movie film um, type style. And he also did this in collaboration with Robert Rodriguez, who made Planet Terror combined. They were grindhouse, both wanting to pay homage to the older films. But you watch this movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. All of the dialogue is still there. It's certainly shot differently, but I still find it just as enjoyable as any of his other films. Following Death Proof, two years later in 2009, we have my absolute favorite Tarantino movie, a movie I hold near and dear to my heart with. I, I just think that there's really not many better films ever made out there. I distinctly remember watching this one when I was 12 years old and like shaking with both excitement and terror by the end of it, and that is Inglorious Bastards. Personally, I think this is his magnum opus. I know a lot of people would scoff at me for saying that, but this, I wouldn't even say that this is the most Tarantino movie, but I'd say this is his most, his most tight in terms of just even just the way he places characters within a scene is just so down to a T. It is just so thought out and every casting choice just feels perfect. And the dialogue is still so him despite writing an older, almost like, like World War II-esque dialect. So if you haven't seen it, the premise of the film is a, a group of Jewish American soldiers is sent to execute a basically the entire Nazi high command while they will be at the premiere of a propaganda film. At first, they, they're not sure if Hitler's going to be there. They end up finding out that he's going. The whole chain of events that's set off is just fantastic. And the there's so many scenes that, that just show how much Tarantino has matured since even Pulp Fiction, just in terms of creating intensity and just little bits of nuance that point you towards, oh, something serious is about to happen, or this character knows something that you you wouldn't even catch on your, your fifth watch. It's just unbelievably stellar. In my opinion, Hans Landa is probably the most well-written, purely evil villain in cinematic history. Tarantino had even said that if he if he didn't find Christoph Waltz for this role, he might not have made the film because just the way he wrote him was just so cold and calculated and evil that he just needed the right actor to be able to play him. What I equally love about Inglorious Bastards is the way that he is able to very seamlessly go between Landa and um, Lieutenant Aldo Rain, Brad Pitt's character, and Shoshana Dreyfus, who's played by Melanie Laurent, who is just absolutely amazing. So seamlessly and is just, again, it, it's very similar to Pulp Fiction in this, but it runs much more linearly, that all of these timelines are all existing and they're all doing different things at the, at the same time for the most part, but it, the way it all blends together is just absolutely perfect this one so fun fact we don't one of the few films that samuel jackson's technically in that we don't even see him on screen he's a narrator at at one certain point but um he's even able to incorporate michael fassbender as a british paratrooper we get to see churchill for a second mike myers is in it for a second he's the one who briefs um archie hickox fassbender's character like it's just absolutely stellar my absolute favorite i can't say enough about it 
it might not be the most most Tarantino, but it's certainly you still certainly know it's him. The opening scene and the bar scene will run your blood cold. I cannot say enough about this film. Up next in 2012, we have Tarantino's certainly most controversial and as far as I can say, probably his most violent film in Django Unchained. And Django's certainly interesting because if Tarantino wanted to pay homage to spaghetti westerns. He's always talked about how much he loves all of Sergio Leone's old westerns, all of the original Django movies. And I, it's, it's super cool because Franco Nero, who played the original Django in the spaghetti westerns, actually has a little cameo as an Italian guy um, in Django. But if you don't know, the premise of the film is Jamie Foxx. And I mean, this, this is probably my second favorite performance in any Tarantino movie. Jamie, he just blows it, hits it out of the park. It's, it's unbelievable. But he plays Django Freeman, a slave who is freed by um, Dr. King Schultz, again, played by Christoph Waltz, who is, again, fantastic. As they go along... Schultz says, if you can help me find these people, I'll buy, I'll help you buy your freedom. Over time, he comes to realize that Django is just an absolute badass. Like he's just one of those guys, man, a few words, just gets the job done. Um, unbelievable sharpshooter, completely fearless. And over time, Schultz decides, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to help him find his wife too. So that's pretty much the rest of the movie after Django helps Schultz with his little mission. Um, Django's wife is played by um, Carrie Washington. Her name's um, Broomhilda, which I won't give away too much ties in with um, Schultz being German and such. And another amazing performance in this is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy, a absolute malicious evil to the core plantation owner. Um, I won't get too much further into that because that is a lot of the film. But this, again, it's, it's certainly a Tarantino level of violence, but it, it, he does kind of wink at you occasionally with some just over-the-top stuff just to say, hey, don't forget, this This still is a movie. It's, it's brutal, and it can be really hard to watch at times, but like... It's still a movie where just I just wanted to tell this story this way. There's so many other fantastic performance and performances in this as well. Um, Samuel Jackson as Stephen Warren and um, Walton Goggins as uh, Billy Crash are both just absolutely amazing. Um, the dialogue in this one is again interesting because it certainly fits the time, but maybe it's just the way that Christoph Waltz and Samuel Jackson, because we're so used to seeing them in Inglorious Bastards and Pulp Fiction, maybe we're just used to the way they play their characters, but it just still feels like such Tarantino dialogue. Just, and even he, because it's such a heavy movie, he's so good about throwing just those little, little laughs in there. Like, like he, like the, um, like Zed's dead and Pulp Fiction or, um, like, uh, like when they are finally at the theater in Inglorious Bastards and Landa knows everything that's going on and he's just laughing at them. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's again, another nice little wink to relieve a little bit of the tension within the scene without completely breaking it, which I feel like is another thing that he is just so good about just riding that line at. But um, again, here we see another protag of his protagonists that just, is, you know, it's like he's he's a good person, obviously. You know, he's setting out um, on this heroic mission to save his wife, but he does not care who he steps on in the way. As long as he completes his goal, it, it doesn't matter. He Schultz is the only person he trusts, rightfully so, but it's the same as sort of with Jackie Brown, same as with Beatrix Kiddo, um, that they are just at any cost going to get done what they feel they need to get done. Up next in 2015, we have The Hateful Eight, which similar to its title, involves 
eight people in air quotes that end up stuck together in Minnie's haberdashery in the middle of a snowstorm and just what Tarantino was able to do in over three hours with a minimal amount of characters still keeping you glued to the screen and just having you on the edge of your seat with just tension of who's going to be the next one to get shot, who's going to be, who's going to die, who's going to make it out of here alive, who's going to actually complete their mission, who's lying about what. There is there is nobody you can trust in Minnie's haberdashery. And the only time that we're really not there is the opening scene in which Major Marquise Warren, um, Samuel L. Jackson's character, is seen on the side of the road by Kurt Russell's character, John the Hangman Ruth, who is taking Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Daisy Domergue, to be uh, publicly executed, sees um, Major Marquise Warren on the side of the road, lets him in, lets him in to bring him into town. They get caught up, end up at Minnie's haberdashery with some other shady characters, and it just goes from there. There are a lot of times again where it, it does feel very similar to Django just in, in the style of writing because you can tell he wanted it to fit the time period re- relatively well. But again, because we again have Samuel Jackson, Kurt Russell, Walton Goggins, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and we're, we become kind of attuned to the way that and I, I believe Tarantino wrote these characters for at least Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell. So he's, he just has this idea in his head of he, the way he knows that they'll, they'll read this dialogue. And it, it's, it is, it is great. I personally don't love it as much as Django because it is, it's definitely a lot slower, but it, again, it's just, and even again with the, the way that, he blocks scenes. The way that every character is placed within Minnie's haberdashery is so well thought out. Michael Madsen's character is very reserved and he's kind of like, I don't want to give anybody too much information. And he sits way off in the back right of the haberdashery. Uh, John the Hangman Ruth constantly has Daisy Domague at gunpoint, knowing that she's just a very like volatile criminal. She could run at any point. He sits off to the left, kind of able to see everybody else with Daisy in front of him, shackled up. Major Marquis Warren carries this very sort of proud bravado of um, his time serving for the Union in the Civil War. And he just he, just in the way that he talks, in the way that um, he edges on um, General Sandy Smithers as you'll see, I won't get too deep into that, but just the way he's able to get under his skin in such a cool, calm tone, just while knowing who he is, is just extremely impressive. Just the little nuances of dialogue, just where everybody's placed within the scene here. And he's so great at incorporating um, flashbacks to other times as well, because um, Marquis Warren also knows Minnie who owns the haberdashery. And just the way he doles out information, just bit by bit by bit, really just makes this film great. And finally, we have Tarantino's love letter to Hollywood that came out about a year and a half ago, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This film is pretty different from his others in the grand scheme of things. Instead of having a protagonist who is following this one mission or even a group of protagonists who have this one goal in mind, we kind of just follow our two protagonists, um, Rick Dalton, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Cliff Booth, who's played by Brad Pitt. And it's kind of just a snapshot in the waning stages of both of their careers. Rick was a, on a successful Western show, and Cliff is a stunt double. And it's kind of just how their careers are beginning to fizzle out in the late 60s. Now, Rick was written very much in vain of Clint Eastwood, who kind of at the at the time that this was actually happening in real life in the late 60s was, you know, just on TV shows, just getting these regular jobs. And then once he started starring in Leone's Westerns, just kind of blew up. 
obviously it's this is very much not about Clint Eastwood at all. Rick is very much his own character with his own personality. But again, just the way what's so interesting about this one really is it's just so much about the way that Tarantino saw this time in Hollywood. We get shots of of um, Cliff Booth fantasizing about beating up Bruce Lee, and we get a shot of just a brief one of um, Steve McQueen and Sharon Tate and Mama Cass at the Playboy Mansion, and just all of these little things about Hollywood, and most importantly, the Manson family, whom Rick and Cliff become involved in. I won't say too much more than that. And I, I also like to, I know a lot of people were very upset about the way that Sharon Tate was portrayed in the film, but I just thought it was really nice that Tarantino kind of just showed like, oh no, she was just this really promising, kind, young actress who, at least in my opinion, just pro- got caught in what seemed, what anybody would have seen as a great thing that just ended so tragically being involved with Roman Polanski who's a complete dirtbag and just that whole situation. I thought it was really nice that he was able to incorporate that and not let at least my generation forget about the horrors that Charles Manson and the Manson family committed against this poor woman and others at um, the Cielo Drive House. Again, this one at first does not seem overly violent. There are some fight scenes and you're like, oh, this is very uncharacteristic of Tarantino. Just wait till the end. You'll get what you want in that regard. But um, again here, just the dialogue, just the way the way that he's and the way he's able to capture this period in time and make it feel like that period period in time, but also make it feel larger than life similar to Inglorious Bastards and Django, even just in the the things they wear and just the settings are just coming off the screen. Um, what, I, what I love really most about this one too is just the, the writing here, I think is his most spot on of any time period in any sort of, um, I wouldn't even call it period piece, but just in any time that was 30 plus years ago it it just feels so fitting just all like you know like the far out mans and like everybody's like they think that like drugs can't hurt you at this point and stuff it's just the way the way he was able to recreate the time period as he did many times previously is so great at the end of this one too there's a little ad for um red apple cigarettes that rick is shooting commercials for which actually are in many of his other films. They're sort of the de facto um, fake cigarette company that he created, which I thought was just kind of funny that he actually finally called attention to it at the end of this one. Now, for those of you that are still with me, on to our next part of the show, which is where I will kind of discuss just a little bit about outdoor theory and why I think this can just so readily be applied to Tarantino and I, why I also think that going forward, we're going to see more of this in director styles, especially with um, certain art house movies um, becoming a little more mainstream. Um, take somebody like, um, like Robert Eggers or um, Greta Gerwig, for example who have very much just shown in their films that they, this is, this is the kind of, and with them, it's even a little more um, pinnacled because they, they, like they have a very certain subject matter that they're clearly interested in and they create these worlds around that with Tarantino. It's a little looser and I even was debating not calling this 21st Century Outdoors because obviously he got his start in the 90s and there will be other directors that I talk about that got their start in the late 90s. But um, nonetheless, regardless of that. So just to give you an idea of what outdoor theory is, the idea was proposed by Andre Bazin in the 1940s, basically just saying that each director kind of has 
a way that they they will mold a film, even if it's a, a, a script that they haven't written. Like uh, David Fincher and Tarantino are gonna shoot a movie and direct a movie completely different ways. If if David Fincher directed Inglorious Bastards, it would look way different than um, Tarantino's direction. Just a quick quote from Bazin, just so you have an idea of this is um he said directors are the authors of the film and should create their own signature style and not be totally influenced by the script given so pretty much just what i just said they directors have more and more i've seen at least over time created created the world they see fit around a script Maybe in some cases you love that. Maybe in some cases you don't. But I think, especially in the late 90s, we've begun to see that more and more with directors like Tarantino, Wes Anderson, who I'll be getting to in the coming weeks, the Coen brothers, etc., etc., who just have their own personal style. Now, Tarantino's, as I've been stating, is obviously high-octane, high-violenced, very, very um, dialogue rich. Even even when you get two characters just sitting down talking to each other, everybody's trying to just sound sound cool and like they have more information than they're even leading on to the character, the other character. And um, like I like I also said, just the way that he blocks scenes and shoots scenes. The, the little subtleties in um, something like the Triglaze, which if you've seen Inglorious Bastards, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. But um, just all, all of those little nuances that he's so good about just kind of kind of winking to you at, or winking at you with, just to say, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe you know enough to figure this out. Maybe you, maybe you figured this out. Let's see. Another thing with Tarantino, as I've mentioned, is that he's just so great about keeping it a little loose when things start to feel really heavy. Take the KKK scene in Django, for instance. He just he's like, you know what? It's been pretty heavy. It's at you know close to the half point way of the movie, and he's like, you know what? Let's just make the KKK look like a bunch of complete idiots right now, just just for fun, just because. Why not? It still fits so well in the movie. Puts a smile on everybody's face because he just makes them look like total assholes. And it's it's just one, one of those things that I feel a lot of directors really, really try to do well in keeping, keeping things lighthearted without getting a, too fluffy in heavy movies, but that I think Tarantino does better than anybody else. For the next segment, I'm going to play three clips from first Pulp Fiction, then Jackie Brown, and then Inglorious Bastards, just to kind of give you guys an idea of what I'm talking about when you can really hear Tarantino or his style come through in his dialogue. In Pulp Fiction, this is the the opening scene at the diner. The scene from Jackie Brown is when Ordell meets Jackie at a bar to discuss um, their plan between them. And then the final one is following a big scene in Inglorious Bastards when uh, Aldo Rain and a young German soldier are in a standoff in trying to get somebody out of a bar. So I've chose these because I think what Tarantino really does best is keep it so interesting when it's just a simple conversation between two people. He never, he never has to go over the top and have them do all these crazy interactions with each other. They can just be talking to each other even for 5, 10, 15 minutes. And you will, you'll still always be on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen next. And he, it, it seems a lot of the time in these situations, there's a power dynamic too. There's one, each character is trying to uh, like pull one over, so to speak, on the other. So check these out. I'm sure you'll see what I'm saying. See you guys soon. Garcon, coffee. 
place. Garçon means boy. This place? A coffee shop. What's wrong with that? Nobody ever robs restaurants. Why not? Bars, liquor stores, gas stations. You get your head blown off sticking at one of them. Restaurants, on the other hand, you catch with their pants down. They're not expecting to get robbed. Not as expecting anyway. I bet you could cut down on the hero factor in a place like this. Correct. Same as banks, these places are insured. Manager, <laughs> you don't give a fuck. You're just trying to get you out the door before you start plugging the diners. Waitress is fucking forget it. No way they're taking a bullet for the register. Damn. I'm gonna have to remember this place. It's all right. About two minutes from your crib, ten minutes from the gig. What's your Not drink, bad. brother? Uh, let me get a screwdriver home. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Yes, you are. <laughs> Damn, I bet you come in here on a Saturday night. You need nigga repellent to keep the motherfuckers off your ass. Oh, I do okay. Bullshit, Jackie. You a fine motherfucker. I bet you do a damn sight better than okay. You think anybody followed you? I don't think so. But it don't matter, because they already know I'm meeting you. How the fuck they know that? I told them. You told them? 325. Yeah, keep it. Thank you, sir. You told them? You told them it's me? They already know it's you. Well, goddamn, that don't mean you got to confirm it. Look, the only way they're going to give me permission to fly is if I agree to help them, which is what I have to appear to be doing. So I might as well give them somebody they already know. You. What'd you say we're making some deal? What's your name? Aldo. Okay, Wilhelm, here's my deal. You let me and one of my men come down there and take the girl away. No guns. No guns me, no guns you. And we take the girl and leave. It's that simple, Willie. You go your way, we go ours. And little Max gets to grow up playing catch with his daddy. So what do you say, Willie? We got some deal? Aldo? I'm here, Willie. I want to trust you. But, but, but how can I? What choice you got, son? Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed those clips. If you've seen the films, I'm sure you know exactly where those are all relatively big points maybe the one in jackie brown not so much but the ones from pulp fiction and glorious bastard surely so for our next segment i'm gonna just do five quick trivia questions some about films um that like of tarantino's films some more just about his personal choices and some just about things he said to the news media i'll give like just a Couple second pause after each question. If you guys want to pause it, take some time to think about it, or just try to guess it on the fly, either works. So, without further ado, here we go. Question number one Who did Tarantino originally want to play the role of Django? Was it A. Samuel L. Jackson, B. Will Smith, C. Jonah Hill, or D. Daniel Kaluuya? If you guessed B. Will Smith, you are correct. And if you guessed C. Jonah Hill, you might need to get your eyes checked. On to question number two. Who did Tarantino originally want to cast as Donnie the Bear Jew Donowitz in Inglorious Bastards as opposed to Eli Roth? Was it A. Adam Sandler, B. Leonardo DiCaprio, C. Kurt Russell, or D, Michael Madsen? If you guessed A, Adam Sandler, you are correct. On to question number three. What body part is Tarantino infamous for putting in at least a few shots of every one of his movies? Is it A, fingers, B, eyes, C, elbows, or D, 
If you said defeat, you are correct. I do not want to know why, but I don't think you do either. So on to question number four. Tarantino has famously said in regards to people inquiring about why his movies are so violent, he said, yes, it's violent, but it's a Tarantino movie. You don't go to a blank show and ask the efforts to turn the music down. Is the band he is referring to here A, Guns N' Roses, B, Slayer, C, Metallica, or D, Candlemass? If you guess C, Metallica, you are right. On to our fifth and final question. How many movies has Tarantino said he will make before he decides to call it quits with filmmaking? Is it A, 15, B, 12, C, 9, or D, 10? If you said D, 10, you are correct. We're only getting one more out of him according to him. All right, folks, hope that you had fun playing trivia, and I hope you had an enjoyable time listening today. I had a lot more fun than I even thought I would doing this. I can't wait to do more episodes. Hope you learned something about Tarantino along the way, and even if you didn't, if you haven't seen all his films, definitely check them all out. In my opinion, there is absolutely not a single bad one. If he's brand new to you, don't don't just start with the critically acclaimed ones either, you know. I regrettably showed one of my friends Pulp Fiction, Django, and Inglorious Bastards right off the jump, and I just know he might not enjoy the other ones quite as much, or, you know, maybe he will because now he understands Tarantino's style a little more. But personally, I think it's a great idea to watch them all in order from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even if it takes you a while. I just I think that's the best way to go about it. And, yeah, I mean, he is just... Probably my favorite director of all time, and I hope that you enjoy him as much as I do. I hope I hope that this also kind of helps you understand why I think of him as such a significant auteur who creates just such his own world and has such a creative imagination that nobody else, in my opinion, on the entire planet does. He is simply one in a million. So um, next week, we're going to be talking about Wes Anderson. Do the same thing. Start with Bottle, Bottle Rocket. Work our way through. I hope you can join us then. Thanks again for listening. Check out the Tarantino films you haven't seen yet, and I will see you next week.